Well, this morning, uh, we are in Matthew chapter 12, and we're looking at verses 15 through 21. That can be found on page number 1,514 of the Pew Bibles. Again, that's Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how you show us your son and his salvation that he has completed on our behalf. I pray, as always, that you would open up our hearts and minds to see him, to love him, and to worship him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, ever since the advent of the mobile video camera and mobile microphones, uh, Comedians, mostly, have used a uh, tactic where they go out into public with their camera and with their microphone, and they interview random strangers in order to see what hilarious things they will say. Uh, I think the person who popularized this the most was Jay Leno in his um, uh, feature called Jaywalking, and he would ask, you know, political information or or things like that to, to try to see what hilarious things people didn't know that you would think that they should know, like who's the first president of the United States and, and stuff like that. And, and as I was thinking about that, I wonder, what, what would it be like if you just went around and asked people, what is Jesus like? Not who is Jesus, but what is Jesus like? What is his character? What is the heart of Jesus? And the beautiful thing for us is we can know what Jesus is like. Who he is and what he's like is pictured and portrayed for us in these gospel accounts written by Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. His actions and his teaching and his character are there for us to soak in and to understand and to know right on the pages of Scripture. And sometimes we get a chance to see Jesus as he was portrayed in the Old Testament. And today, we get to have a little bit of everything. In our passage, Matthew's taking an aside to remind us who Jesus is and then to point us to someone from the Old Testament to help us fill in our understanding of this God-man come to save his people from their sins. In our short passage this morning, we see three things. First, we see Jesus 
is full of compassion. And then we see Jesus is the suffering servant. And then finally, Jesus is the hope of the nations. And so first, Jesus is full of compassion. So the most powerful miracle worker the world has ever seen, the greatest teacher to walk the face of the earth, is in Israel, teaching and healing the people of Israel. They love his miracles, but they refuse to repent of their sins, and the religious leaders want him dead. That's where we're at in Matthew. When Matthew says these words, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him. Now, Jesus is not retreating here. It's not time yet for him to confront the religious establishment that wants him dead. That time will come. In a few chapters, he will walk right into Israel, right into the lion's den, and he will openly and publicly challenge the religious leaders there, which, of course, will result in them crucifying him on a Roman cross. But that time has not come yet. So he's not hiding, right? It's hard to hide when a large crowd is following you. All he's doing is creating a little distance between himself and the Pharisees who are plotting to kill him. And even though, as we've seen so far in the Gospel of Matthew, these people are rejecting his message about the kingdom, they refuse to repent of their sins and put their trust in him alone, yet they're still following him around. They're still enjoying the spectacle of his teaching and his amazing healings. And this is the way God's people have always responded to his prophets. Listen to what God says to the prophet Ezekiel. He says, My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, you, Ezekiel, are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. So they love to hear Ezekiel talk. They loved his words. Listening to him speak was like, you know, watching America's Got Talent. Who doesn't love hearing a love song sung by someone with a beautiful voice playing their instrument well? How much more then did they love Jesus' amazing words and teaching and his healing? But their hearts were unchanged by his message. How discouraging must that have been for Jesus? to pour his time and his energy and his heart into these crowds to heal all of them and to have them be unchanged by his message. Yet Matthew tells us that he healed all who were ill. So even though these people are rejecting him, Jesus is healing them. Why? Well, Matthew's already told us back in chapter 9, he said, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. 
So Jesus has compassion on the crowds. This is how Jesus feels about them. He's not annoyed with them. He's not angry with them. He loves them. Later, Matthew is going to tell us about Jesus standing over Jerusalem. Right before he goes to the cross. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Remember on the cross, he's going to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is why Jesus heals them even though they reject him. This is why he's still inviting them to come to him and find mercy and rest for their souls because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He aches for them to be free of their sin. He wants them to experience the law as a joy instead of a burden. And so he is patient with them. He is kind to them. And he he heals all who are sick. And then he also warned them not to tell others about him. If you remember in Matthew chapter 9, we read this really brief story about Jesus healing these two blind men, and he he brings them into a house to heal them because they had just called him the son of David, and he's not ready yet to identify himself fully with the idea of who the Messiah is because their understanding of who the Messiah is is totally different still than who Jesus is really. So he heals them in this house by themselves, and he says, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell them who I am. We're told in that passage that he sternly warned them not to say anything. And yet, what do they do? They leave that house and they tell everybody. And here Jesus is again asking them, don't don't tell people. Don't say anything. No matter how many times he warns them not to tell others about him, it doesn't seem to do any good. Yet he's patient with them. He continues to heal people. And tell them not to say anything. And this proves that he's not doing any of this just to get a following. He's not trying to build his brand on Instagram as an influencer just to brag about how many followers he has or to raise his advertising revenue. No, he really loves these people. He cares about their pain. That's why he's healing them even though they refuse to listen to him. He's not trying to build a following of people who only want him for what he can do for them, yet that seems to be the kind of people that he's attracting, and he heals them anyway. How easy would it be to get bitter and frustrated at these people who all they do is take from you and take from you but never listen? This is why parents yell at their children. Right? We get bitter and frustrated with them. But you can never change someone's heart by yelling at them. Instead, Jesus patiently and compassionately and willingly heals them all because he is full of love and compassion for these people. He sees them and their pain and their struggle. Do you know what this means, Emmanuel Church? 
He sees you. He has much compassion for you. He's patient with you. He's just as willing to heal you. He cares about our loneliness. He has compassion on our pain and our sorrow and our fear. He knows we're a little anxious how things are going to turn out. And he doesn't look down on us for it. He knows we come to him a lot just for what he can do for us. And that we are just as dull and slow to really hear his words as these crowds. Yet he cares for us. Why? Well, because Jesus is also the suffering servant. The very next thing Matthew says sets up an Old Testament quote. He says this. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So Jesus, being rejected by his own people and the religious leaders, after bursting on the scene with the most spectacular teaching the world has ever seen, the most spectacular displays of power over sickness, nature, demons, and death that anyone has ever seen, and Matthew's answering the question, why are people rejecting him? Why is he having to withdraw from a group of Pharisees because they want to kill him? Why is he healing people? Why is he so loving and patient and compassionate and kind to people even though they're rejecting his message? And why does he not want others to know about him? And his answer to all of that is, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And then he goes on to give us a quote from Isaiah, which is, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory, and his name the nations put their hope. So a little history lesson on the prophet Isaiah. Uh, he's a very interesting figure from the Old Testament. He prophesied for over 40 years uh, in Judah, which was the northern kingdom after Israel had split into two, the southern and the northern kingdom. He's in the northern kingdom. It's very prosperous in the northern kingdom during Isaiah's time prophesying. Uh, his uh, his uh, life lasted over four different kings of Israel. And the book of Isaiah is 63 chapters long, very long. The last 24 chapters of the book of Isaiah are all written to a future generation of Israel over a hundred years later, after Isaiah dies. And that future generation, what they're facing is the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, being exiled into Babylon. And Isaiah is writing to them to let them know that there is great hope for them, even though they're suffering. And part of that hope is in the identity of someone who came to be known as the suffering servant. And five times in chapters 42 to 43 of Isaiah, we are introduced to this suffering servant. And what we have here in Matthew that we just read is Isaiah's introduction to the suffering servant. Okay? 
So this morning, what we're going to do is look at what else Isaiah says about this suffering servant, okay? So a few chapters later, after the quote that Matthew uses, Isaiah says this, and this is God speaking to the suffering servant. I, the Lord, have called you, the suffering servant, in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Okay? So God tells the servant that he is going to be a covenant for the people, which means he's going to secure God's promises for the people through the suffering servant. He's going to be a light to the Gentiles, which means he's going to bring God's salvation to the rest of the world outside of Israel. Later in chapter 49 of Isaiah, the suffering servant himself is speaking. And he says this, God said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. So the servant identifies himself here as Israel. Now remember, okay, we're going to go all the way back to the first couple sermons in the the book of Matthew. And if you remember, what what we saw there was uh, Matthew also quoting the Old Testament when Jesus is born and has to move with his family down to Egypt. Matthew quotes the Old Testament and says, out of Egypt I called my son. And that quote from the Old Testament was talking about Israel. And if you remember what Jesus does is he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Right? Reenacting the life of Israel. And so that 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness is pictured in the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness. And the idea that Matthew's setting up for us in the book of Matthew is that Jesus is the true Israel. He's the true descendant of Abraham. He's the one who is going to keep all of the promises or make available all the promises God made to Israel by keeping all the commands that God gave to Israel, okay? Now with that in mind, let's look at another quote from the suffering servant in Isaiah. This is just a little bit later in chapter 49. It says, and this is uh, the servant speaking. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, And my God has been my strength. He says, so God speaking now, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So, that first quote, he says, you are my servant Israel. And now it seems like he's talking about a single individual who will restore Israel and be a light to the Gentiles so that God's salvation extends to the ends of the earth. Another quote, okay, bear with me. This is all going to come together. The next chapter, in verse, chapter 50 of Isaiah, uh, we have another quote. It says, The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. So this suffering servant is going to restore Israel, be a light to the Gentiles. He's going to be beaten, mocked, and spit on. 
The Jews thought this was the whole nation of Israel because they could not imagine a single person who could do all this. And they certainly would not have connected this person to the Messiah. Because for the Jews, the Messiah was the son of David, the conquering king. He would never be treated this way. The, the Messiah is the one sent to rescue Israel from this kind of suffering. And so he would never be mocked or spit on like this. So to Israel, the suffering servant was the entire nation. Right? This sounded to them like how they were treated. They were the ones who suffered exile in Babylon. They were the ones who've been fighting the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans just to stay in their tiny little plot of land in Israel ever since Isaiah wrote these words. Their whole nation was mocked and spit on, and they saw themselves as the ones who had not been rebellious and who had not turned away. And Matthew is telling us that Jesus is the true Israel. This confusion about whether or not the, the suffering servant is one person or the whole nation, Matthew's tying that together for us and saying, no, he is the nation in one person. And now let me read one more, the, probably the most familiar of the suffering servant songs in Isaiah. And this is the one where you, everyone will know the identity, right? But he, the suffering servant, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, when Matthew writes, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he means that Jesus is the suffering servant. He is the true Israel. He is the true descendant of Abraham. And it was the plan all along for him to be rejected. And he quotes the very beginning of the very first suffering servant song from Isaiah as a way of pointing us to the rest of the suffering servant songs. This is Matthew's way of saying, look, not only is the Messiah, the son of David, the conquering king, the one who will rescue Israel from her enemies, but he's also the suffering servant the one who will restore Israel and be a light to the Gentiles and suffer. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb who was slain for the sin of the world. It's not like he's one and then the other. He's the son of David, the conquering king, by being the suffering servant and the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. His humility, his death, his suffering are how he conquers the powers of the world. If I asked you who would win in a fight between a slab of concrete and an acorn, we would all say, well, obviously the slab of concrete would crush the acorn. Unless you plant the acorn under the slab of concrete. And then slowly over time, that acorn grows and the roots of the tree easily break up the slab of concrete. And that's how Jesus is going to overturn the powers of this world. That's how he changes the hearts and minds of his people. Not by the sheer force of his power, but by dying and going into the ground 
right? It's by the humility of his death, by the strength of his character, as we keep our eyes on him. He never screams at us to change our mind or repent of our sins. The fact of who he is breaks up our stony hearts, like an acorn under concrete. You see, in spite of the fact that these crowds and us care so much about our own felt needs, it is his kindness and his patience and his love and his compassion for us that convince us of our sin and bring us to him for his forgiveness and his grace. Paul writes in Colossians, he says, Christ disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He is the conquering king that the Jews were looking for. But he came to conquer sin and death for us by being the suffering servant. And finally, Jesus is not just the hope of Israel. He is the hope of the nations. So now let's look at the quote from uh, Isaiah that Matthew specifically quotes here. So first he says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Do you hear the allusion to Jesus' baptism in those words? Remember, these words were written 700 years before Jesus was baptized. And yet when Jesus is baptized, God comes and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, almost quoting these words verbatim. This is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, and whom I delight. God approves of Jesus. He delights in him and always has. And the power for Jesus' ministry comes directly from the Spirit of God. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. And that can either be a good thing or a bad thing. So let me ask you a question. Do we want justice from God? Do we want God to give us what we deserve? Or do we want mercy? We definitely want mercy. Definitely. And the reason we know that God is talking about merciful justice here is because the last line from the quote of Isaiah says this. It says, in his name, the nations will put their hope. So the kind of justice Jesus is bringing will cause the nations to put their hope in him. The nations will open the eyes of their heart to see Jesus for who he is because they will be able to see and understand that Jesus satisfied God's justice on the cross. God is not going easy on our sin. He's not letting anyone off the hook. Instead, he's sending his suffering servant to be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace is on him, which is why going on, he will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. He came to teach and to heal and to die for the sins of the world. And whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Uh, Isaiah 53 says this, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This was all part of the plan. As we continue through the book of Matthew, we will see the nation of Israel and the religious leaders totally reject Jesus. And that is what will lead them to bring him before the Romans to be crucified. But then listen. 
to how Jesus deals with those who put their faith in him. Matthew writes, quoting Isaiah, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. You see, he's the one who brings justice through to victory. And he does it for bruised reeds and smoldering wicks like you and me. In Israel, reeds grew in marshes by the millions, apparently. And uh, what they would use reeds for uh, is they would use them as like flutes or a pin. And you need a strong, sturdy reed to be used as a flute or a pin. And if you have a bruised reed, it's totally worthless. Because there's millions of other reeds. The last thing you need is a bruised reed. You, you can't use it for anything. And a smoldering wick is like a candle being drowned in the melted wax. And what happens to a candle like that is it eventually begins to produce more smoke than light. And the light that it does produce is annoying and flickering. It's hard to see what you're doing in a flickering light, especially one that is barely lit and putting out smoke that just annoys your eyes and makes you cough. And so when Isaiah says that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, what he's saying is that Jesus knows our condition. He knows that for some of us, we are bruised reeds and smoldering wicks because of the affliction and the suffering of this life that we didn't choose, that has come into our life, and it's, it's weakened us, it's brought us down, it's, it's put us in a place where we feel like we can barely hang on, like we can barely move forward. Sometimes he, he bruises us by his own law, showing us that, that it's too much of a burden for us to carry. And we don't know what to do because we're required to keep his law, but we can't do it. And so he bruises us with it to bring us to a place so we know that sin is misery. But then he won't break us. He won't snuff us out. He will bring justice through to victory. He will carry us through. I know many of us have had days where we feel like I can't go on. I cannot endure this temptation any longer. I cannot endure this suffering for one more second. And God is promising us that Jesus has endured the infinite suffering. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was snuffed out. His life was snuffed out on the cross so that he could carry us through moment by moment through whatever he brings into our life. And the beauty of it is he he brings those things into our life as, as a merciful God so that we will learn to be bruised reeds and smoldering wicks who need Jesus to keep us burning, who need Jesus to keep us strong. Right? He's teaching us that we're not mighty oaks. Right? We're not blazing fires. No, we are bruised reeds and smoldering wicks who are in desperate need of a kind and compassionate, and merciful, loving Savior who will continue to heal people even though we're barely listening to what he's saying and we're, we're consumed with everything that we care about in this life. 
but he loves us. He's gentle with us. And he suffered in our place. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that Jesus is like Jesus is. That his character is that of a mighty oak. And yet, he let himself be bruised and beaten and snuffed out so that he could hold us together, so that he could carry us through, and that he mercifully, and that you mercifully, allow us to be bruised and to be almost drowned out by the melted wax of our life. And and, and as a mercy, as a severe mercy, so that we might depend on him and his strength alone. We thank you for your ways that we do not understand. We thank you for a Savior who keeps us and carries us through. In Jesus' name, amen.